Boom, put boom, boom, side, B side, what side are you on? Hello, and welcome to another episode of A Side, B Side podcast. Hello, Adam. Hello, Brooke. How are you today? You know what? <laughs> I'm better than I've been in a long time. I feel like your uh, Minnesota peeps got it right yesterday. Yeah, uh, thankful that those twelve jurors did uh, did you know did their job and did the right thing. I the I mean we I was at work and and we changed the TV to watch it and everyone was pleased with the the verdict. But I think the thing that just stuck with me was like how sad it was that it was unexpected. Like the whole yeah. state. We have like 4,000 National Guard troops. The places, like buildings were boarded up. Um, even even in the, tw- like they announced that it was going to happen and we had an hour of lead up time. And in that entire hour, you know, I was sick to my stomach. Everyone I talked to was was nervous. And like, it's really pathetic that until it actually happened, no one was sure it was going to happen. And we saw the man die on video. So, you know, even uh, even stick with me, even he didn't think it was going to happen. You could tell by his reaction. He did not expect that at all. Like he was shocked. Chauvin, you mean, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, It's uh, it. I, I I'm glad that it happened. I I am embarrassed to say that I'm still surprised that it was all three counts. Uh, I'm super pleased and i'm impressed by the job that the prosecution did and the jury did and the judge and everybody um but it really saddens me how i was shocked that it was all three yeah but you know what there's a video um that came out shortly after george floyd's passing and it's his daughter on her uncle's shoulders and she says my daddy changed the world and i saw that video again today and it's like he did unfortunately but at the same time maybe some change is coming it's sad that this is what it took for people to finally say wait a minute now yeah and the the horrible dose of reality that happens the same day with the the young girl in Columbus. Yeah. Within within hours of the verdict, minutes. I don't even sure how close. I it think was. it was Just like thirty minutes. Me. Yeah, it's this is long way from done. Department of Justice opening a investigation into the Minneapolis Police Department. Uh, hopefully, that will. Um, I mean, Minneapolis has a choice. They can either decide to lead the way forward or continue to be a problem so i hope we decide to find the new way of doing things we have a long way to go but yesterday was a good start yeah um in other news (laughs) yeah (laughs) movie theaters are opening nationwide have, and you mm-hmm. still haven't been yet, right? I still haven't been. With with there was so much going on the last couple of weeks that uh, movies kind of took a back burner. Uh, I'm waiting because I keep trying to reactivate my AMC A list, which is like the you pay a monthly fee and then you can go up to three movies a week, uh, mm-hmm. which is I really 
like the monthly fee is basically the price of like one and a half tickets. So if uh -huh. you go to two movies a month, you're ahead. And I'm such a sucker for deals that I'm like, okay, let me reactivate. And I keep trying to do it. And it says you've reactivated and then I refresh and it's not reactivated. So I don't know if it's a thing yet, but I really want to, I really want to get back there. Uh, now we've got Kong, uh, Godzilla versus Kong. And then we got uh, Mortal Kombat that's coming out this week. And uh there's some exciting stuff on the way. So the trailer just for uh, Shang-Chi of the Marvel Cinematic Universe came out this week, uh, which looks amazing. So that's going to be this fall. And so I'm trying to trying to temper my expectations because I really want to get back to theaters and hopefully someday live music. Well, the first nine minutes of Mortal Kombat is on HBO Max. Yeah, and it's been leaked on all sorts of YouTube channels as well. Um, Regal Theaters has something similar. They have the Regal Unlimited. So you pay a certain fee a month and it's probably a movie ticket and a half and you can go unlimited. So like before nice. I would go hit two, three movies on a Sunday. I mean, I would just spend like my entire Sunday at the theater. So I don't yeah. know that I'm willing to do it that in depth, but you know, like going to a movie or something, it would be so nice. Yeah. Well, and the, the interesting thing is every time I've looked to buy tickets, it's usually like a day ahead of time, but there's nobody else in the theater. Mm -hmm. So I don't blame them for like being like, hey, we got to charge for all the tickets because no one's coming. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully, uh, hopefully they'll return. And they're still not doing matinees up here, which that was my, that was my thing. I'd go midday when it was pretty dead you know, like to a one o'clock showing and uh, we're just doing evening movies, uh, at least up here in, the, in Minnesota. So this week, um, movie wise, home at home movie wise, uh, I watched the new Idris Elba movie called Concrete Cowboy, which was interesting Ooh. and based off of real people. But the story is fictional, but it's about cowboys basically in Philadelphia. Like oh they, yeah, they uh, they they have their horses and stuff like that in the city, so it's pretty cool. I forget the name of them. I forget the name that they go by, but um, a really cool story. Like I had no clue that that was even a thing. Like it's a, it's really impressive. Yeah, I remember seeing a, a trailer for that, and then it completely slipped my mind. Uh, the first idea that like concrete cowboy came into my brain is last summer during a lot of the black Lives uh lives matter protests there was i think it was in dallas there was a parade of of black cowboys in like downtown dallas yes uh, and those pictures mm -hmm. were like all over and it just looked really cool but yeah i totally forgot about it it's got the kid from uh stranger things uh-huh uh-huh yeah yeah it's got it's, it's got quite a few people method man is in it nice. um so that was pretty cool of course, this is a kind of a different role for Idris. So that was pretty cool. And seeing Idris ride a horse. So if you're a yeah. big Idris fan, you get to see him ride a horse. So. <laughs> also, HBO Max has a show called Made for Love with Christine Milioti. Know her mm -hmm. from uh, How I Met Your Mother. She was also Palm Springs on Hulu with Andy Samberg, Black Mirror. She's been in a bunch of stuff. She's really good. She's really good. Yeah. But basically, this guy builds his own hub, 
he he's like a tech genius and he thinks he has created the perfect piece of tech for love right so um she's really good in that um ray romano is in it he's had a really interesting career since the like since doing the sitcom thing yeah he's just been like all over the place it's a really wild role for him he plays her dad and her mom and this is not a spoiler her mom died when she was younger i actually started a few weeks ago because they they came out with like a couple episodes and then they made you wait and then they came out with some more and then mm-hmm. when they came out with the second one the second set of episodes i like forgot <laughs> and then i was like oh wait i gotta watch that again but he's a very interesting weird character in in this show interesting yeah like he's had it seems like he's definitely been like well you know i'm just gonna do some different stuff as opposed to doing like sitcom dad like kevin james just keeps playing you know the same kind of characters tim allen same kind of characters whereas ray romano is like i'm just gonna do a lot of weird different stuff yes definitely definitely and um who else is in it there's a kim kim wheatley if you are familiar with the comedian kim wheatley she's in this and Billy Mag, uh, Billy Magnus, Bag, Billy Magnuson, is it Magnuson? Yes, mm. he actually plays uh, the tech genius. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, and we've talked about her before. She was in the show with Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman. I uh, can't think of the name of that at the moment. I'm drawing a blank, but Noma. Dumaswenny is her name. Dumaswenny, Noma Dumaswenny, and uh, she plays a really interesting scientist in this. So that's something that to check un- out. The Undoing. The Undoing. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Okay. And then, if you're looking for something silly and fun, at the very beginning of the pandemic, The Circle was on Netflix. The first season of The Circle. Yeah. And that's- yeah. Bunch of people living in an apartment. They're not allowed to see each other. They're not allowed to communicate except through the circles communication system which is basically text messages but through like any of their computer screens in the or tv screens in the in their apartment so season two is now out so that'll be interesting to see how that goes yeah and then of course falcon and winter soldier and let me tell you how timely was and i know it wasn't planned but how timely was this most recent episode that aired before the the trial oh yeah with uh with cap and the the new cap and going to the trial that and you know finding out about the former super soldier yeah Yeah. Uh, i'm trying to think of the character's name uh isaiah isaiah bradley yeah yeah yeah, no, they. Uh, it, it's interesting because I know that the whole series was supposed to be out before WandaVision and then they delayed it because they had to do a bunch of edits because and people thought it was because there was a plot involving uh, a uh, uh, viral disease, like a viral uh, virus in the, in the camps and things and people, Disney was like, that's too close to home. Uh, but there's still a lot of stuff that is very uh, poignant to current events and time and place and a lot of questions about you know how we perceive history mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it, it's interesting because i'd never uh never read the 
miniseries that brings um, Isaiah Bradley into the fold, but it's definitely made me want to go check it out. I got to say that's, I'm really impressed with the way that Marvel handles it. So I will, I'm, I'm, I'm just impressed with Marvel period. And yeah. Marvel seems to have always kind of been ahead of the curve with being progressive. Yeah, and well, definitely. Or should I the say way. the comics? Not like not like the movies, but I mean, of course, the movies too, because they're yeah. based on the comics. But like Stan Lee and. Um, yeah, definitely been an area where things could be explored, probably before they could elsewhere, because it was you know, drawings as opposed to real people. Maybe mm -hmm. that gave them some leeway. Like you think of all the stuff, all the topics that The Simpsons have been able to tackle or south park yeah that you just wouldn't see tackled elsewhere and it's almost like you kind of get a a layer of distance so you can try some new things when you're dealing with you know art like that instead mm -hmm. of people uh but yeah marvel's done a, a really really good job over the last especially over the last you know 20 years of creating new history and getting away from just some of the the stark um, not not a pun on on, on Tony, yeah. Uh, but just trying some some new stuff and taking like the miniseries that Isaiah Bradley um, became part of the universe came out in two thousand and three, uh, and dealing you know at that but that's eighteen years ago. Mm -hmm. You know that's definitely ahead of the the head of the day. Well, I highly recommend it. I think it's great. It is very up to the movie level of of entertainment. They don't hold back. So, yeah, I'm, I've been very much impressed, and I think this whole phase four, it, they clearly are pushing the envelope. They're not just like it would have been real easy to make a bunch of just clear cut superhero movies again. Mm -hmm. But with Wandavision, I mean, definitely you can ask yourself who the real villain is there. And we're seeing a lot of gray area in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I just get the vibe that this whole phase is going to be about complicated stories and blurring the lines and not having a lot of obviously right and obviously wrong, you know, black and white scenarios. So yeah. I think that's, uh, that's, a, that's a brave choice. And I will say this, not that Chris Evans has to worry because he's still my husband, but Sebastian Stan... <laughs> He's definitely boyfriend material. His his sweater is definitely made from boyfriend material. <laughs> I, I do love like the, the so easy joke, but it works where the stop it, don't hit on my sister sort of stuff. And, like how he's just a charming guy. But then the kind of the funny part is kind of like that plays against that first episode where here he is, like he's yeah, he's charming and everything, but then like it's hard for him to connect with people because he's 106 years old. Right. Yeah. I saw, um, it was really funny. It was a cute little TikTok that they had posted Marvel or him. And it was kind of a behind the scenes thing where they threw him a 103 year old birthday party. It was pretty funny. Nice. It was really pretty funny. Yeah. But anyway, so what have you been, have you been working a lot? Have you watched anything? Working uh, did, did the last couple of weeks here in Minnesota have been unique. Uh, so there's been a lot of news and uh, Twitter and local media watching as well. Um, still been 
kept keeping up with uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier and the new Kung Fu series on CW, which mm-hmm. is really fun. Um, Acorn TV released a couple new episodes of Midsummer Murders uh, that were that are new to me. So those are the uh, British murder mystery that each episode is like a full length movie. It's like hour and 40 minutes. Uh, so I've been slowly uh, letting myself watch those so I don't burn out of them too quickly. Uh, and then um, actually started a new documentary on Hulu this week. It came out yesterday, Tuesday, the 20th, uh, that I had my topic for uh, today's A-side kind of halfway done. And then this, uh, I saw the trailer on Monday and then I started watching the new episode, the first episode yesterday. And uh, it sent me on a whole different tangent for my new, for this, the A-side this week. Uh, And it's a documentary, it's a true crime documentary uh, about, and it's called Sasquatch. Oh yeah. It's, you know, yeah. It's so it's, it's about Sasquatch kind of, but it's more about this story that the documentarian first heard way like 27 years ago that really is never doesn't, in his mind what didn't get a lot of press and so he kind of inter it like investigates that story i'm only like halfway through the first episode so i don't know which direction it's going to go more true crime or more sasquatch hunting but uh definitely i'd like there's there's some things uh that they do uh when he's telling like you know flashbacks and stuff with uh uh illustrations mm-hmm. that are sort of a, a neat little thing so far and so I'm, I'm interested to see how that goes but uh it's definitely got sort of a like this could be a viral thing like a like a tiger king or it could completely fly under the radar and nobody will will watch it and it'll become like a meme like ancient aliens on the history channel well you know speaking of tiger king there's not one but two like mini series about tiger king coming yeah and isn't there like a, a comedy movie or something well there's a movie with nick cage and then there's a movie with an actor who basically you could say he's that guy from that show where he plays in a lot of stuff but you would recognize his face but not his name okay so yeah so uh kate mckinnon yeah she's gonna Joe be carol baskin yeah, she's yeah. going to be Carol Baskin in that in that one. That one is signed on for Peacock, but there's no real release date yet. Yeah. All right. So are you ready to jump on into things? Yeah. Uh, who's am I starting today? Nope, it's me. Oh, OK. Oh, OK, good. I was I was I'm ready, but I was like, wait a second. I can't remember if this is an odd or an even day. It is an odd. So that would mean me. All right, so this week we have kind of a tag team situation, if you will. You know, normally when you think tag teams, you think uh, wrestling, you think maybe the good guys. This definitely not that. I mean, I think, uh, whoop, there it is, but. Well, yeah, there's that too. Yeah. It's not that either. Not that either. So Charles. And also the chop scoop, there it is. With the new commercial it's really not that <laughs> so charles chai tat ng was born in british hong kong on december 24th 1960 his father kenneth ng was a wealthy executive and he was a really strict disciplinarian and had a tendency to abuse charles 
Charles's mom was Oiping. So Charles as a teen developed an obsession with martial arts and fire setting. I don't get the connection. Don't know that they are connected. It's, I, I mean, I would say that those are two things that a lot of preteen teenage boys get into. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, like, that doesn't sound shocking at all. Like, setting things on fire and wanting to be a kung fu master. I think, well, at least in my opinion, most people have had, most boys have had that phase. So Charles also developed an early addiction to shoplifting, which in a way is a good thing because it actually helps to end his reign of terror, which... Of course, you'll see. Foreshadowing. So Charles was described as a troubled loner. And at the age of 15, he was arrested for shoplifting. As a result, his father sent him to a private boarding school, the Bentham Grammar School in North Yorkshire, England, hoping that it would help clean up his act. It didn't. Mm -hmm. Spoiler. In fact... He was actually expelled for stealing from classmates and he was sent back home to Hong Kong. In 1978, at the age of almost 18, Charles moves to the U.S. on a student visa and he studies at the College of Notre Dame in Belmont, California. But that didn't really last long either. You see, Charles dropped out after his first semester. In 1979, Charles was involved and arrested for a hit and run incident. To avoid prosecution, he joined the Marines. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but that was a big thing years ago. Like you could either go to jail or go to the military. I mean, we, when I was in the military, we would sing cadence about it. It was kind of like a, a running joke, I guess you could say, you know, it was, you know, go to jail or join the, join the, join, go to jail or join the army was what we would say or you know i'm sure in the marines it was Mm -hmm. join the marines whatever is that something that still happens i don't believe that is still a thing anymore no i mean that makes sense no but you know in the 70s or whatever when they're trying to get their numbers up yeah I, i i believe it was i don't think they have been doing that since before i went in but okay that was a thing that they did years ago yeah i i remember i think like there was Maybe the movie Stripes with Bill Murray and uh, John Candy's in it. But I think like maybe that factored into them enrolling at one point. I believe uh, so. Yes. It was go to prison or, you know, join the military. You know, a lot of people in trouble join the military. Yeah. Um, True story. My ex-husband, that actually is what made him join the military. And that was just a few years before me. So. It did stop, but like I said, I don't think they were still doing it when I went in. Well, he went in like 10 years before me, but um, so, yeah. yeah. So even up till not that long ago. Um, in late 1979, using falsified birth records, claiming that he was born in Bloomington, Indiana, and with the help of a recruiting sergeant, he enlisted in the Marines. That was another thing that used to happen quite a bit. Recruiting agents would help fabricate records. They don't do that anymore. They had to meet those numbers, get that quota. Charles was stationed in Hawaii at the MCAS, Kaneohe Bay, 
and he began showing signs of anger issues and issues with authority figures while he was there. So I'm, I'm not familiar with Marine ranks like I am with the Army because they are different. But Charles was promoted to Lance Corporal within a year, which seems to be pretty impressive. So even despite his anger issues, and I'm sure the help, it helped that he had some college, you know, I know mm-hmm. when I went in, they, they used the whatever college that I had and they applied it towards my rank. So maybe that right. helped with him too. You get some credit. You get credit, right. So that pushed me up rank. So that may have been the case with him as well. I don't, I don't know. I do know he made Lance Corporal within a year. Like I said, pretty impressive. So even despite his anger issues, he had to have shown potential as a, a good soldier. Hmm. That potential didn't last long, though, because he was soon arrested by MPs for stealing. We see a theme here. He stole $11,000 worth of automatic weapons from the armory. Oh, boy. Charles was sentenced to 14 years in a court-martial. Somehow, some way, he managed to escape and ended up back in California where he met Leonard Lake. So Leonard Thomas Lake was born October 29th of 1945. So he's got a few years on Charles. He was born in San Francisco. And at the age of six, Leonard's parents separated and he and his siblings moved with his mom. Uh, They moved in with his mom's mom, so his grandmother. Leonard was a very intelligent child, but he also had serious, serious issues. Mm. Leonard had a nasty habit that was allegedly encouraged by his grandmother, claiming it was to promote pride in the human body. He would take nude photos of his sisters. This caused him to become obsessed with pornography. According to the Encyclopedia of Serial Killers, Leonard extorted his sisters with the photos, forcing them to perform sex acts. Hmm. He also collected mice and killed them by dissolving them in chemicals. Dissolving them? Yeah. As disturbing as that is, Keep that in mind because it's going to come up again. Well, yeah, probably was a future test run. So Leonard attended Balboa High School. And then in 1964, he enlisted in the Marines. Leonard served two tours in Vietnam as a radar electronics tech. It was during his first tour that he was hospitalized for, quote, exhibiting psychotic reactions. But he was returned to duty. After experiencing what's been called a delusional breakdown in Da Nang, Leonard was medically discharged in 1971. He was also diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder. It is not the same thing as schizophrenia. So SPZ or SZPD is characterized by a lack of interest in social relationships and a tendency toward a solitary or sheltered lifestyle, secretiveness, coldness, detachment, and apathy. So Leonard moves back to San Jose and enrolls in San Jose University, 
but he dropped out after a semester. He became enamored with the, quote, hippie lifestyle in San Francisco. And more so, he, he became enamored with the survivalist propaganda. So Leonard moved to a commune. It was a 5,600-acre commune called the Greenfield Ranch, and he moved there in 1977. He moved there and met Clara Lynn Bellasses. She was a 25-year-old teacher's aide whom he nicknamed Cricket. The, pet, the pair married in 1981. Shortly after this is when Charles and Leonard meet. And oh, how we wish they hadn't. So Leonard was previously married while serving in the military, but she left him as would Clara Lynn. Leonard made amateur S&M and bondage related porn and forced Clara Lynn to participate. When she couldn't stomach it anymore, she left. So Leonard and Charles allegedly met through an ad in a Wargamer survivalist magazine in 1981. Leonard invited Charles, the escaped convict, to live with him in his cabin near Ukiah. Next to the cabin, let me go back, Leonard was an extreme racist, but that seemed to only focus on Blacks and Latinos because obviously... Charles is a minority. He was born in Hong Kong. He's Chinese. So next to the cabin, Leonard had built what his journals described as the dungeon. It is believed that by the time Leonard had, by this time, Leonard had already committed several murders. One of those murders being his brother and his best friend and best man, Charles Gunner. He stole their money and he stole Charles Gunner's identity. In 1982, the FBI raided the mobile home. Uh, The two shared seizing a large stash of illegal weapons and explosives. The pair were arrested for firearms violations. Leonard was released on bond, but skipped bail. He then hid out at a remote cabin owned by his ex-wife, Clarilyn, in Wilseyville, in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains, about 150 miles east of San Francisco. Charles was returned to the Marines and took a plea deal in which he was paroled and dishonorably discharged in 1984, serving 18 months at Fort Leavenworth. After his release, the pair reunite in Wilseyville. Over the next two years, Charles and Leonard begin a pattern of rape, torture, and murder. So Charles and Leonard built a cinder block bunker that held their victims captive. The duo did not discriminate when it came to their victim selection, but it seemed to get more, they seemed to get more pleasure from female victims. The room itself was six and a half foot by three and a half foot. And when it was discovered by police, the only items in there were a bucket and toilet paper. 
The room was also outfitted with a one-way mirror, allowing someone on the outside to view in. It also had a list of typewritten rules inside the bunker. You have to hear these rules because these two, we already know they're crazy, but when you, when you mm -hmm. hear these. So rule number one, I must always be ready to serve my master. I must be clean, brushed, and made up with my cell neat. Number two, I must never speak unless spoken to. Unless in bed, I must never look at my master in the eye, but must keep my eyes downcast. Do you think they have a problem with women? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Number three, I must never show my disrespect either verbally or silently. I must never cross my arms or legs in front of my body or clench my fists unless eating. Must always keep my lips parted. Number four, I must be obedient completely. And in all things, I must obey immediately and without question or comment. Number five, I must always be quiet when locked in my cell. And number six, I must remember and obey any additional rules told to me. I must understand that any disobedience, any pain, trouble, or annoyance caused by me to my master will be grounds for punishment. Can I just say what in the actual Farfignugan? There's, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack there, as they say. They have such a hatred toward women, and I, I don't know where it comes from for Charles because he had an abusive father. But from what I could find, it wasn't his mom; it was his dad, and maybe it was witnessing his father's um, abuse. But yeah. for Leonard. I'm sure this weird fetish of taking naked pictures of his sisters encouraged allegedly by his grandmother has contributed to that. Yeah, that's, that's, there's a lot of interesting ingredients in both of those mental soups. <sighs> okay, so before we get into the victims, let's discuss how disgusting and disturbing these two are. So Leonard, who we know had issues with pornography and S&M and bondage, loved videotaping his and Charles's victims as they assaulted and tortured them. One of the videos was playing dur played during Charles's trial, and you can see the shock on the crowd's faces when he's heard saying in the video, you can cry and stuff like the rest of them, but it won't do you any good. We are pretty cold-hearted, so to speak. On at least two different occasions, the two kidnapped entire families, each with infant sons. The men and the infants were killed pretty quickly, but the women weren't told that. They were filled with a false hope of seeing their families. They were kept alive for days, sometimes weeks, and forced to participate in sex acts. The exact number of Charles and Leonard's victims is unknown, but thought to be as high as 35. Some of their uh, victims include their neighbor, Lonnie Bond, Lonnie's girlfriend, Brenda O'Connor, Lonnie Jr., the infant son of Lonnie and Brenda, Harvey Dubs, Deborah Dubs, and their young son, Sean. Also, 
Their victims included Paul Costner, Randy Jacobson, Mike Carroll, Kathy Allen, Jeff Gerald, Charles Gunner, Robin Stapley, and Clifford Parentenow. Other victims included relatives and friends who came looking for Lonnie and Brenda, two gay males, and Leonard's brother, Donald. The FBI figures their spree started within a month of Charles's release. In July of 1984, Don Gioletti, a radio DJ or radio personality in San Francisco, had answered an ad in a magazine offering sexual favors for free from an Asian male. And his roommate, Richard Carraza, they were both shot and killed by Charles. I'm sorry, let me backtrack. Don was fatally wounded. Richard, while critically wounded, survived. And he was later able to identify Charles as the shooter. A man named Mike Carroll, who was openly gay, Charles forced him to dress in what he called, quote, sissy clothes to lure in gay men for Charles to kill. Eventually, Charles tired of this game with Mike, and then he killed him. Clifford Peritonow went missing after winning $400 on a Super Bowl bet. Jeff Gerald went missing after agreeing to help Charles move some furniture. So you remember earlier we mentioned Charles's fondness for shoplifting Mm -hmm. as he had been caught several times for stealing. Um, It's this habit that ended up putting an end to the duo's killing spree. So on June 2nd of 1985, an employee at the South Lumber Store in San Francisco called police after they witnessed Charles stealing a $75 vice. Charles placed it in the trunk of a 1980 Honda Prelude and then ran. The vice that he stole was actually one to replace a vice that had broken that they were using while torturing a victim. So police arrived and they found the car. After searching the vehicle, they found the vice and a 22 caliber pistol with a silencer. So some accounts say that Leonard was in the car and pulled over and some accounts say he was in the store with Charles and stopped on his way out of the store. You know, I researched it and researched it and there's, the, the diff- there's just two different theories of how it went down. Regardless of what happened, Leonard was arrested and he supplied the officers with an ID that had the name Robin Scott, Robin Scott Stapley, who was 26 years old from San Diego. The photo looked absolutely nothing like Leonard, who was obviously much older than 26. Right. Robin had actually been reported missing by his family several weeks earlier. So police ran a check on the vehicle and it was uh, registered to not Robin. It was registered to someone else, a man named Paul Costner, who had also disappeared from San Francisco on November 2nd of 1984. He went to show the car to someone interested in purchasing it and was never seen again. The license plate. So we've got an ID and a car. Now the license plate on the car actually comes back to another missing person, a man named Lonnie Bond. The gun in the car belonged to Robin, which makes sense because it was 
Well, actually, no. It was his ID. The car was. Yeah. So, okay. So somebody else was Costner's. Yeah. And then we had some. Yeah. And then we got Lonnie Bond. So. Yeah. It's just like the mother load of clues. Yeah. So while in custody, Leonard told authorities his real name, because remember, he had given them the name Robert uh, Robin Stapley. So in custody, mm-hmm. he tells them his real name is Leonard Lake. And he offered up a statement about the gun. He also gave up his accomplice, Charles. Leonard then asked for paper, a pencil, and a glass of water. Authorities gave Leonard his requested items and then left him alone to write his statement. Leonard wrote a note to his ex-wife. Then he swallowed a cyanide capsule that he had hidden in a secret compartment on his body. It was either in his jacket or his belt buckle. Okay, because I was thought we were going somewhere else with that. No. So okay. Leonard was rushed to Kaiser Hospital where he slipped into a coma and was in the hospital for four days before being taken off life support on June 6th. Of course, that means Leonard died. Mm-hmm. So he left this note, remember, for his ex-wife. It says, Dear Lynn, Clara Lynn, Dear Lynn, I love you. I forgive you. Freedom is better than all else. I'm sorry, mom, Patty, and all. I'm sorry for all the trouble. Love, Leonard. So police go back and look at this Honda. And they discover a bullet hole in the car's roof with blood splatter and a stun gun and several unspent bullets. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, but how did they miss the bullet hole the first time? Maybe it was a really beat up car. Maybe. Yeah. Under the passenger seat was a utility bill with Clarolyn's name and the Wellseyville address on it. They head on over to the cabin that Charles and Leonard stayed in. Charles is in the wind, but they did find way more than they expected when they entered the cabin we've already talked about the bunker that they found they also found video equipment in one of the bedrooms along with a bed with holes drilled into the posts that were used to tie up and restrain someone to the bed serial numbers on the video equipment indicated that it belonged to harvey dubs who had vanished from his san francisco apartment along with his wife deborah and their infant son, Sean, in July of 1984. Vehicles belonging to Lonnie Bond and Scott Stapley were found on the property. The police then found, like we mentioned, the bunker, along with the toilet paper and the bucket and the list of rules in the bunker. They also found the book, The Collector, They found tools, handcuffs, women's clothing, and makeup. Posted on the wall next to the rules, or alongside the rule, there were photos of 21 different women, some of them completely nude. In a makeshift burial site, police discovered around 45 pounds of burned and crushed human bone fragments, corresponding to at least 11 different bodies. Now, I mentioned the book, The Collector, and the reason this is important is it's a book by John Foles, 
And the collector tells a story of a woman named Miranda who's kidnapped and enslaved by a sexual psychopath. Both men were big fans of the book. So much so, it inspired the name Operation Miranda, which is what they named their crime spree. Wow. Another fan of the book was serial killer Christopher Wilder, who killed eight women in the 80s. So this is not a good book, okay? Yeah, let's let's not check it out. Don't look that one up on Amazon. Right. Let's leave that one alone. Authorities also discovered a hand-drawn treasure map that led them to two five-gallon buckets that had been buried. One of the buckets contained envelopes with the names and IDs of the victims, suggesting the victim count at at least 25. But like I mentioned, they suspect it to be at least 35. The other bucket contained Leonard's handwritten journals from 1983 through 1984 and two videotapes that documented the torture of several of their victims. Brenda O'Connor and Deborah Dubbs being two of them who we've mentioned. One of the tapes labeled M ladies, Charles made the horrific statement that we previously mentioned. You can cry, but we're pretty cold hearted. That was to Barbara O'Connor as he cuts her shirt off with a knife. In another part of the tape, a victim named Kathy Allen is seen seated in a chair as Leonard warns her. If you don't go along with us, we'll probably take you into the bed, tie you down, rape you, shoot you, and bury you. On the other tape, Deborah Dubbs is assaulted so viciously that there's absolutely no way she could have survived that attack. Wow. Now, Charles Ng, you remember, fled the scene and he managed to escape Mm -hmm. on the run so after leaving yeah. the scene at the he's good at escaping. He the really guy, he escaped he the military. Is. Exactly. Exactly. So after he leaves the lumber lumberyard, he made his way back to the cabin. He told Clara Lynn that he needed to leave town immediately. Well, she didn't know what was happening. So she drove him to San Francisco International Airport. He jumps on a flight and heads off to Chicago under the name Mike Komodo. Now you got to remember this is in the 80s so it was much easier just to hop on a flight back then you could just go to the airport get a ticket and go like it wasn't there wasn't all the security that there is today it's like a plot point in a lot of old movies that you see and you're like that can't happen right but it actually it could like you could just get on a plane i mean it was so easy back then right (laughs) so i i don't I don't even know that you had to show ID back then to buy. I think you could just walk in and buy a ticket. Yeah, you pr- just smoke on the airplane and Right? Yeah. Different so Char- times, man. <laughs> Charles then had a friend drive him from so he hops a flight, ends up in Chicago. He has a friend drive him from Chicago to Detroit, where he then crosses over into Canada. Charles ends up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, Canada, where he lived actually for a little while, completely undetected. He was staying in Fish Creek Provincial Park under the radar until yet again, he can't stop himself from shoplifting. Shoplifting. On July 6th of 1985, after a month on the run, Charles is arrested by the Calgary Police Service after Um, shooting a security guard named Sean Doyle in the hand while Doyle was trying to arrest him for stealing a can of salmon from Hudson's Bay department store. 
a can of salmon. A can of salmon is what it's brings like this caught, down. It's like Capone getting caught on tax evasion. Right? A can of salmon brought you down, dude. I love that. Also, can we just talk about the fact that this serial killer can fly to Chicago and just ask a friend to drive him to Canada? Yeah, right? Well, to Detroit. Oh, Detroit. From Chicago Still. to Detroit, yeah. It's not, it's not like around, it's not like across town. Like, <laughs> right? I don't think, I mean, I feel like I have some pretty good friends in the world. I don't know that there are a lot of people I could just show up in town and be like, hey, drive me six hours away, please. <laughs> I mean, and I'm just guessing. I don't know how far Detroit is from Chicago. I should look that up, but it's got to be, a, it's a substantial drive. Yeah, it's not. I mean, that's, it's, um, I mean, we're, this, this is the fun part of, of the, the internet where we are looking up the drive time four hours and 26 minutes but still i mean that's a four hour four and a half hour drive and then they have to drive four hours back yeah, so that's for nine them, hours that's eight hours yeah nine hours yeah you're right four and a half four and a half like, nine hours i think most most of us can take a take a second and be like how many people would i drive nine hours for out of the blue and it's a short list yeah you asked me to drive to nashville or like past nashville i'm like oh Mm, really yeah we've all got friends that won't drive across town for dinner they'll be like where should we go to eat and you suggest it but oh that's it's like 15 minutes away that's on the other side of town i don't know traffic Mm, yeah Uh, so yes this guy's guy's got a friend that's like yeah let's go to detroit So in December of 1985, Charles was charged with shoplifting, shoplifting, assault with a weapon and possession of a concealed firearm. He was sentenced to four and a half years in prison. Then once his sentence in Canada was served, he was extradited back to California in 1991. Charles, he got Four and a half years for shoplifting a can of salmon. Well, and also the weapons possession. Weapon. Okay. Okay. I was and, like, dang, and, Canada. And assault, because remember he shot the security guard. That's right. He shot. Okay. I was still thinking it was all about a can of salmon. It was, but there was <laughs> Canada's does, Canada does not play about their salmon. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was like, Do not mess with Canadian salmon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's expensive. So, <laughs> Charles fought the extradition. And lost. So he ends up back in California and in Calaveras County, Charles was indicted on 12 counts of first degree murder. After a lengthy drawn out legal battle that involved multiple firings of attorneys that he declared incompetent, Charles went through 10 attorneys, some who defended him twice. Why? He also filed a malpractice suit against several of the former attorneys. He was eventually allowed to just represent himself. Because no one would work for him. Right. Because everybody was incompetent. They didn't know they're stupid. So in Folsom prison, he was caught hiding maps, having fake IDs and other escape paraphernalia. He sued the state over his, his detainment at Folsom, along with four different judges assigned to his case, he sued them. He sued the state over his detainment and the four different judges involved in his case. This guy put a lot of lawyers' kids through college. Man. He then launched a series of complaints regarding 
the strength of his eyeglasses, the temperature of his food, and his right to practice origami in his cell. What? I mean, he didn't want to file a complaint about making him obey? Evidently. That's impressive. Hmm. He didn't have a problem, you know, making the women obey. That's true. Doesn't like when it's on the other foot. Right. So his trial finally began in October of 1998, seven years after his extradition from Canada. That's how long and drawn out all of this was. I mean, that's just to, to reference our earlier conversation. That, again, just amazed that the whole Derek Chauvin thing happened within a year. I mean, that. Yeah. All of these stories that we've gone through, how often does something like this happen where things get delayed and delayed and, and redone? And it's just, that's more common than not i feel like unless we're talking about a story in britain it's like it takes forever now britain doesn't seem to play around they're like oh you got arrested on tuesday you're going to court on friday and jail on saturday (laughs) or prison on saturday yeah (laughs) efficiency right they're like we are not playing around with you no Mm -mm. due process is really speedy okay so i don't think they have due process (laughs) I think no. that's a that's a that phrase there. Isn't that an American thing? I don't know. I'm not a legal expert. I watch a lot of Law and Order. I think they do. They're just more expedient with it. Oh, their pro- their due process is more processed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're more efficient, I guess. Yeah, um, no, they're very efficient. So okay, so his trial begins seven years after his extradition from Canada. Clara Lynn cooperated with police and received immunity. She turned over weapons and other material, uh, key material items to the investigation. She was called as a key witness in Charles's trial. Charles's attorney, not himself this time, named William Kelly, surprised everyone when he dismissed Clara Lynn without asking her any questions. Hmm. Even with video evidence and Leonard's diaries proving otherwise, Charles maintained that he was merely a witness in this whole thing. He claimed that it was, in fact, Leonard that planned and committed all of the kidnappings, rapes and murders. He also used the abuse of his father as an excuse, saying he did these things for Leonard's approval because he viewed the man 15 years his senior as a father figure, big brother that he always mm-hmm. wanted. Yeah. It wasn't me. It was the guy who's already dead. Right. He's not here to defend himself, so I'm going to put it all on him. Yeah. A psychiatrist who did not view the tapes testified that Charles had dependent personality disorder. A clinical psychologist testified under cross-examination that he agreed with the dependent personality disorder diagnosis and added that Charles's behavior in the tapes indicated that he was attempting to mirror and please Leonard. Four prison guards, two sheriff's deputies, a prison library employee, and a prison counselor all testified that Charles was a model prisoner. I gives a damn. He killed many, many people. I don't care how model he is. What was his favorite color? Does that also factor in? Yeah. Get this, four Marines who knew Charles while serving said he was quiet and well-behaved. I mean, you know, when he's not stealing weapons and getting <laughs> court-martialed, right? 
up up oh. until that, you know, grand theft, whatever. He was really nice. And fleeing and capture. Yeah, I mean, he's a nice guy. Both of Charles' parents testified about his troubled childhood and expressed remorse for his actions. Charles took the stand in his own defense, which, of course, opened the door for prosecutors to introduce more evidence, including a photo of Charles in his prison cell surrounded by cartoons he had sketched of his victims. At one point in the trial, somehow Charles was able to get the phone number of one of the jurors and contacted them at home in an effort to cause a mistrial. That effort was not successful. How does he even? Yeah. Because he's a model prisoner, so they probably allowed him to use a computer or something. Yeah, or a phone book or... Right. Yeah, that's still... Wow. So on February 11th of 1999, Charles was convicted of 11 of 12 murders, six men, three women, and two male infants. He was found not guilty in the murder of Paul Costner, despite evidence that he and Leonard obviously had knowledge of Paul, had his car, and his ID. Charles was sentenced to death by lethal injection. Currently, Charles still remains on death row in San Quentin prison. No executions have taken place in the state of California since 2006. He's probably still just suing people left and right. And planning in his escape and suing because he can't see well because of his eyeglasses, his food's too cold, and he wants to do origami. I don't know if I'd give this guy or down. He'd probably make a shiv out of it. Man, this guy, what a piece of work. First of all, first of all, can we go back to Leonard for a second? Who was oh, like, yeah, I'm gonna easy. I'm gonna rape and torture all these people and then kill them. Oh, but I'm too much of a punk to deal with the consequences, so I'm gonna kill myself. Yeah, he gets the easy way out. <sighs> Also, apologies to England and the Mag- Magna Carta, which is where the phrase due process originated. So definitely, <laughs> that was so right. definitely, definitely they have it since yeah. they made it. Yeah, I was right. Mm-mm. I'm going to do my happy dance. Just, be, just being an ugly American over here thinking we, have, we invented everything. <laughs> oh, no, I think that was uh, that was first an American idea. Yeah, freedom <laughs> thing. Yeah, we, uh, we came up with that, I think. America, America. You know, uh, pretty much uh, the world started in 1776. I think before (laughs) that was basically cavemen. Hey, there's a lot of people around here that think that. Well, I fell into it. So, man. But there you go. That is the story of Charles Ng and Leonard Lake, two of the most despicable humans ever. Did they ever get like a catchy? name for the two of them yeah there wasn't no. like a no that's good no. sometimes i think it's unfair that they get like band names oh like last week when they had like real life dexter or brazilian or, or not last week a couple weeks yeah. ago well that's, that's that's you know or like the you know the golden gate killers you know like they're yeah. they definitely you know they get like little titles it's like that's not fair yeah, no. They they named their own cells or their their crime spree Operation Miranda, but that's about it. Yeah, yeah. But 
names are never as good if you try to give them to yourself. <laughs> like nobody gets away with nicknaming themselves. That's true. Unless there you're you somebody like The Rock. Because you can smell what The Rock is cooking. Yeah. You got a good catchphrase. You're okay. <laughs> but there you go. That is the B-side. This is Kevin Armstrong, your host for Movie Battle. Each episode, we take two films and put a super fan of each against one another to decide which one is best. The only rule we have is that you come correct. If you're interested in being a guest on Movie Battle, please check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So it is now time for the A-side, and ironically... Uh, or not ironically, I'm not sure how to use that word because I grew up when Alanis Morissette turned it into a song and now I don't know what definition means. Uh, <laughs> but in a weird connection, we'll go with that. Uh, my side, the A side, also deals with someone hiding in a basement. Uh, but it's a lot more heartwarming and fun uh, and there's a lot less death. Um, so I mentioned thing. earlier that we... Yeah, that's 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 what we strive for here on the A side. A lot less death. <laughs> not a great tagline, but not a horrible tagline. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, I started watching this new documentary on Hulu, Sasquatch, which is a true crime, but also they're searching for Sasquatch. And I started thinking about Sasquatch and all of a sudden realized that I had yet to talk about one of my favorite movies from when I was a kid and movie that was probably more impactful to me and more beloved than a movie that arguably inspired it. So in the eighties, everything kind of had an echo of ET. ET was such a huge hit that many movies were ET inspired or ET light or has the feeling of ET and Steven Spielberg was connected to everything. Uh, because of the huge, like crazy success of E.T. and so many other things that he was involved in. One movie that he was involved in was Harry and the Hendersons. I love which that movie. I had totally spaced on Harry and the Hendersons until I started thinking about Sasquatch. Uh, it was yet another of the VHS movies that we had as a kid that would get played over and over. Uh, one of the greatest family purchases that we ever made was a conversion van in the mid nineties where early to mid nineties that had a tiny, I think it was like an eight to 10 inch TV in the ceiling and a V like a drawer that pulled out and had a VH VHS player. And we would take these road trips all the way down to uh, visit my grandparents in Arkansas or to go to Kansas city or Kansas or to go over to revisit Nebraska where I was born, or even we went to the Black Hills or over to, you know, visit the uh, more family in Wisconsin, uh, down to Chicago. We went to, we never drove from Chicago to Detroit because we never had anybody ask us. We probably would have done that in the conversion van <laughs> because it was just the greatest vehicle ever. And we would just watch movies nonstop from the moment we left the driveway to uh, the time we got all the way to grandma and grandpa's house or wherever our destination was, movies were playing nonstop. And one in the rotation was Harry and the Hendersons. Now, if you've never 
seen Harry and the Hendersons, you might be like, what are you talking about? How is this remotely connected with E.T.? And, and where are you going with this, Adam? Well, Spielberg, again, was sort of the big guy in the 80s after E.T. and all of his other successes. And he ran into a gentleman named William Deere, who directed an episode of the sci-fi horror fantasy anthology TV series called Amazing Stories, which ran for two years from oh, September yeah. 85 to April 1987. Uh, and the Spielberg loved the episode and you know, asked if the guy had anything else in the works. And he showed him a portion of a script that he'd been working on with two other guys named William E. Martin and Ezra D. Rappaport. Uh, and it was for Harry and the Hendersons. And Spielberg loved it and said, hey, I think we should make this. So he agreed to a deal to, pr to uh, produce the project for his company, Amblem Entertainment. However, uh, by the time they actually got to filming, uh, Amblem and Spielberg took their name off the movie uh, because there was some... Uh, friction and he felt like his his input was not being listened to and so it wouldn't really be a Spielberg movie and he didn't want to distract from it uh took his name off it however everybody still referred to it as a Spielberg movie because he was connected to it uh so everyone was expecting big things and you've got this story of a family dealing with a visitor or a house guest that is different from them that very much mirrors the classic E.T. story setup so Harry and the Hendersons uh, began photography in 1986, uh, and it was shot on location in Seattle, Washington, which is also the uh, location in the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, they shot in downtown Seattle and in the Cascade Mountains, just east of Seattle. The sneak previews to the movie were held in 87 and a week before its opening. And Hollywood Reporter said that the previews were so well-received that Universal Studios bumped up the number of advanced screenings to 1,400 for the opening night. So expectations were raised. They were like, this is connected with Spielberg. We've gotten good feedback from the advanced screenings. We're gonna, it's gonna open up even bigger. However, it didn't exactly light the box office on fire. Uh, it opened on over 1,400 screens in June of, of 1987 and took in only $4.2 million in its first day, with its first three days, which, I mean, was pretty good. It was only made for $10 million, so they made you know 40% of their budget back in three days. That was respectable, but uh, people were expecting a lot more. Uh, Universal panicked and decided to change the ad campaign. The ad campaign at first had kind of hidden Bigfoot, uh, and just, you know, with the name Harry and the Hendersons, it doesn't automatically say Bigfoot is in the movie. Uh, so when they released it overseas, they just went sort of sledgehammer with the marketing and said Bigfoot in the Hendersons was the movie. So no one would have any uh, misconceptions about what the movie was actually about. Uh, the movie has an amazing cast. Uh, one of my favorite actors of all time, John Lithgow, plays the uh, patriarch of the Henderson family. Can we uh, just say has... John Lithgow is so diverse? Oh, because yeah. There's a generation of kids that only know him as a, com a com comedic actor. And there's a generation of people that know him as like the bad guy. Yeah. Like and Denzel he, he's Washington. Done. 
Yeah, he's done a lot of stuff. I mean, even just recently with like The Crown, where he was uh, nominated for Winston an Emmy, Churchill, playing yeah. Winston Churchill. Yeah, and he's. I mean, uh, one thing I didn't know, and I figured I found out when I was researching Harry and Henderson to John Lithgow is evidently the character of Fraser Crane on Cheers was developed with him in mind. Really, I didn't know that. They they, they wanted him to play it, uh, and they didn't work out, and so they got uh, Kelsey Graham said and it worked out very well for both of them and then Lithgow went on a couple years later to have Third Rock from the Sun uh, which highly underrated I think it gets lost in some of the great 90s sitcoms Uh, but if you've never watched Third Rock from the Sun you owe it to yourself Uh, it is hilarious and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt started his career Mm -hmm. Uh, French Stewart who Mm -hmm. I don't think has ever truly opened his eyes he's always sort of squinting (laughs) yes Uh, (laughs) But it was very, very, very good. Um, Melinda Dillon played his wife, Nancy. Uh, she is best known as the mom from A Christmas Story. So mm-hmm, to see her in mm-hmm. something else definitely throws you off. Um, Kevin Peter Hall was the actor who portrayed Harry, the Bigfoot. Uh, he was also the actor who played Predator in the first two movies. Yes. And, and he Kevin died is, tragically. He did. Um, a, I believe it was... Pneumonia related to HIV, I think is what I read. Uh, but he was, uh, he was actually also... married to an actress that was on the show 227. Oh, really? I didn't mm-hmm. know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, and he was on the show 227. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. fair enough. Uh, he uh, was also the only one from the movie cast who would go on to be in the TV series. So Harry and the Hendersons doesn't break the box office, but it does enough that about Four years after it came out, or two years, two years after it came out, uh, in 1991, it launched a three-season run as a sitcom, which I think many people may remember that a little bit more than the movie itself. Uh, the movie also had a ton of other talented people. Um, Don Amici, who was in Batteries Not Included. No, he was not in Batteries Not Included. That was, that. I always forget, he was in Cocoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays Dr. Wallace Wrightwood, a Bigfoot expert. David Suchet, who is also known as Sir David Suchet, uh, who is best known probably as the portraying uh, Hercule Perot uh, in um, a ton of murder mystery movies, uh, one of Agatha Christie's characters. Uh, he's probably the modern equivalent, but now a uh, uh, what's his name? Kenneth Branagh has taken over the role in the movies most recently. Uh, but his Perot is a ton, a ton of episodes. Uh, and we also had uh, M. Emmett Walsh, who is one of the, he's like another one of those, that guys from that thing. He always is playing a coach or a dad or an uncle or a grizzly old guy. Uh, he played John Lithgow's father in the movie who runs the sporting goods store, uh, the hunting store, I should say. Uh, and the irony is in a classic Hollywood fashion, uh, M. Emmett Walsh is only 10 years older than John Lithgow. Wow. But in Hollywood, ages don't matter because that happens all the time. Or you've it's usually like the lead actor is in his 60s and his love interest is in her 20s mm-hmm. uh, but often you'll have father sons or you know parent and child where relationships where the two actors couldn't possibly be uh this you know related to each other in real life much like the youngest of the golden girls uh played the oldest character 
Did I lose you? Sorry, I was looking at something on Kevin Peterhall. Forgive me. Oh, no, that's okay. He was okay. seven I, I, feet I, two and and half inches. Yeah, dude was a big dude. Sorry. And I mean that I, it's it's interesting because you think of, and this is just sort of an offshoot, but like those people that you had very tall people who could play costume characters, and then very short people who would play costume characters, and how much of that has changed when it used to be them in you know like a mascot suit basically to now you've got actors that may not be those sizes like uh mark ruffalo is not seven feet tall right not even close if, if yeah if the avengers movies had been you know made 30 years ago 40 years ago they probably would have had a seven foot tall guy in a suit playing him instead now it's all cgi yeah uh, so it's interesting to see how those actors have had their roles change over the with the advent of CGI and if that's really impacted things. So, because I mean, like even in Lord of the Rings, you look at, uh, you know, Elijah Wood is not super tall, but he's certainly not as short as a Hobbit. Right. Uh, so, you know, none of those actors, they were all, you know, regular size actors. I mean, shorter size, but certainly not uh, like Warwick Davis height. So it's interesting to see how that would have changed. So Harry and the Hendersons tells the story of a family that's out on a camping trip and on the way home, they hit Bigfoot with their car, uh, think he's dead, put him on top of their car, take him home, and then find out later that he has been brought to suburbia uh, and is very much alive. And the hilarity that ensues or the hijinks. Uh, It was the first movie that I ever remember or the first time in my life that I ever remember anyone talking about being a vegetarian was in Harry and the Henderson and the idea of Harry being upset about them eating animals. And for me, that, that was kind of eye opening because I never, you know, that was the only time that I ever had heard of anybody being a vegetarian when I was a young kid. So right. sort of unique that I learned that from Bigfoot. But I don't know where to go with that. That was just a strange <laughs> offshoot. Just a side note. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the absolute star of the movie is Lithgow, who carries uh, most scenes. And it, it's one of those, it's like, it might be the movie that you want people to see to see some of his range because he you know, deals with anger and comedy and physical comedy and shows emotion and heartfeltness and connects with you know this you know kevin uh peter, peter hall, hall. Never, he says kevin peter hall never gets to say a word like he plays the character the character itself only says one word and it's dubbed over so you've got this entire film that is dealing with one character that is expressing everything non-verbally and what Lithgow and many of the other actors rise to the occasion is they also express themselves very well non-verbally and Lithgow being such a I think it comes back his background being more on the theater uh, and when you deal with being on stage versus being in front of a camera there are certain things that you have to do to express yourself on stage to be read by an audience that is you know in the back of the theater that may come off a little bit bigger on camera and finding that nuance between 
how to display an emotion or an action on stage versus on screen. Mm -hmm. uh, and he always has done an amazing job. And I think that sometimes actors that have that experience on stage can give you some of the, the best small movements as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, because they're so used to giving their whole body to convey things. Um, it's a great movie about a fish out of water and how people can change. And Harry, of course, there's this, the physical comedy of breaking staircases and opening up the refrigerator by tearing the door off. And there's, you know, subplots about, uh, you know, conservation a little bit. And of course, the, the not eating meat and the killing of animals. But more than anything, it's just a great character study of a father who is kind of going through the entire range of emotions, who first sees Harry as a way to become famous, then wants to protect him, then tries to send him away. Uh, and in one of the, and, you know, spoiler alert for a, you know, 35-year-old movie, <laughs> uh, in one of the the biggest moments of the film is near the end when George played by John Withgow uh, is so angry at another character, this uh, character played by David Chuchet who's been hunting Harry and he, be and he shows the, more the monster than Harry is because he wants to, he is going to attack and is finally stopped by Harry. And it's a nice, you know, it's a sort of a sledgehammer moment, but as a kid, it was very clear. It was mm -hmm. like, Hey, here is the supposed monster showing compassion and the real monster being the supposed human. Uh, so that stuck with me for a long time. And it also has one of the great lines. And this was a, a problem for my mental state in watching movies in grade school and high school and even into college, heck, even today. I always assume there's going to be a sequel. So in movies where they like, have a line or something that sets up the sequel. I set myself up for like looking for the sequel. And I remember even asking my parents if this movie, like there was a sequel to Harry and the Hendersons because towards the end, uh, after Harry leaves and there's the great moment again, spoiler alert, where you see Harry walk into the woods and then like his, there are other Sasquatches, what appears to be his family is there too. And you're like, Oh, this isn't just, you know, one Sasquatch living in the woods. Um, Don Amici turns and asks uh, David Suchet's character what he will do ne next, and Lafleur, David Suchet says, "I don't know. There's always Loch Ness." So I, in my you know great middle school brain, grade school middle school brain, immediately turned to my parents and was like, "Hey, can we rent the Loch Ness monster here at Henderson's movie?" Uh, and uh, unfortunately, that movie never came to be. Oh, so, yeah. So don't look for Loch Ness and the Hendersons, but if you are interested and want to check it out, I believe Harry and the Hendersons is available on Amazon Prime, uh, and you can find it on Amazon itself if you want to buy one of those old school things like a DVD. Uh, it has horrible ratings on both IMDb uh, at 5.6 stars out of 10 and Rotten Tomatoes at 41%. However, uh, on the ad the A-side scale, I would give it a 8 for enjoyability and a 9 for watching an incredible performance by John Lithgow. I am going to go with you on, say, on the B-side of the A-side? 
I don't know because it's not the A set. You know what I'm trying to say. I agree with you. Yeah. It's a very good movie. It's entertaining. It was one of my favorites growing up. I love it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I was thinking of back, it's got some tense themes for like kids to be watching it. You know, and I remember probably like seven, eight years old when I first time I saw it, you know, and talking about hunting and animals. And I wonder if my parents really realized how much was going on there. But it's only PG, so couldn't have been couldn't have been that intense. I feel like the PG scale has changed over time, though. Like stuff that was PG when we were kids definitely would not be PG these days. Oh yeah, no. The Harry and Hendersons would be a G-rated movie. You think so? I think so. Yeah. Not PG thirteen because it. No, no. It's I. I I think it slid the other way. Okay. Like. I know like R-rated movies in the 80s, some of those would be PG-13 now. Hmm. Okay. Not, not all of them. I mean, Lethal Weapon ain't, ain't getting a PG-13. Well, it might. I don't know. <laughs> oh, a fun little notice. Uh, so in Harry and the Hendersons, the car they drive is this big, you know, station wagon uh, that seemed to be like a, you know, the same style station wagon that showed up in like... Um, uh, National Lampoon and uh, in Lethal Weapon and somebody actually looked at the damage done to this station wagon in Harry and the Hendersons and compared it to the damage done to Murtaugh's station wagon in like Lethal Weapon 2 and they were like yeah they're very like the same three parts are broken uh, so somebody was claiming that it's the same station wagon <laughs> which I mean if I ever get to the point where I'm breaking down is this the same you know, station vehicle from two different movies because they're using the same three places it gets injured. Uh, and I break that down on film, then uh, clearly I've won the lottery because I have nothing else to do with it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Another interesting side note. So uh, Kevin, Kevin Peter Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mentioned his wife was on 227. She was also on Sesame Street. Oh. And I maybe that's where he kind of got his love for big puppets you know because he was tall and maybe he was like oh big bird or whatever i don't know yeah wouldn't that be cool though who who was uh who who was his wife um elena reed hall yep yeah there you go oh yeah yeah olivia from from wow yeah yeah so old oh. school Sesame Street peeps, you know exactly who she is, especially when you yeah. see her face. Yeah. Yeah, as soon as I saw her face, I'm like, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think you ever appeared like on Sesame Street or anything. I just thought that was cool that she was on Sesame Street and then he played ca- big characters like that. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would have been perfect for Big Bird. Yeah. I know, right? Yeah. I know. Wow. So. She played Olivia on Sesame Street, and then she was in the 1999 movie Cruel Intentions. Man, I've taken you down a rabbit hole, haven't I? Wow, I was gonna say like this is that that is a that is a strange connection because <laughs> those two movies very different places in Adam's mind. <laughs> oh Oof. man! All right, so is that the A side? That is the A side. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, if you haven't seen it, created a little T-shirt for the puppers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not on the website yet, but 
if the demand is there, it will be on the website. So um, just let me know. Also, if you have any stories for Adam or myself, you know, if you've got a crime or if you've got a movie you want talked about, research, let us know. You can email us. Would you laugh for? Oh, I just coughed. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were like, research. Ha! Um. No, no, no. I just, I swallowed wrong. I swear. <laughs> And then I was trying to do like the don't make it obvious thing. And then I was just like, Bleh. like I'm research. Like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> research, who does that? You can I did it. send over my links today. I did. Yes, I saw them. Um, you can email us at a side, b side podcasts at gmail.com. You can also support the podcast and um, you can buy us a coffee. It's uh, buymeacoffee.com slash a side b side pod. You can always check out our website. We post all of our sources and photos on our website. It's a side b side podcast.square.site. We do have the socials. We've got Facebook, we've got Twitter, we've got Instagram. And we would absolutely love it if you would head on over to Apple and give us a rating or a review. Yeah. And uh, we're on youtube as well and you yes. can like and and uh rate us there mm-hmm. um as well as all of your other podcasting locations pretty much anywhere you get a podcast you could find us mm-hmm. and we'd love to hear from you we would absolutely love it so there you go all right that is another episode of a side b side podcast thanks adam thanks brooke see you later As always, thank you for listening to A-Side, B-Side podcast. If you enjoy the show, please, if you don't mind, head on over to Apple and leave us a rating or a review. And if you'd like to continue to support the podcast, you can do so by heading on over to Patreon or you can buy us a coffee as well as buying merch on our website, A-Side, B-Side podcast.square.site. From Adam and I at A-Side, B-Side podcast, please remember to wear your mask, social distance if you're around people that don't live in your household and just be safe and happy. Thanks again from us here at A-Side B-Side Podcast.